All right, good morning, Three Circle. It's great to be with you guys and all of those joining us online and all of our campuses that are joining us right now. Great to be with you guys. Cannot believe the Tumbleweed series is coming to an end. It's been a great series as we've walked verse by verse through chapter four of Ephesians. And today is a great day at our church, church-wide at all of our campuses because it is Toss Us a Turkey Day. And this is a day where we come together and we help so many families uh, through the holiday season. Local organizations at every one of our campuses really depend on three circle to do this. So I'm hoping that if you did not bring a turkey or ham or a pie with you, that you'd be willing to go get a turkey pie or ham and bring it. Because we like to say that we want, we want to make sure others are going to be able to enjoy and, and eat during the holidays before we do. All right. And that's what we're all about. So hopefully you'll help us do that. So tumbleweed, we're coming to the end today and we basically spent a month walking through one chapter of Ephesians. It's important to remember that the Apostle Paul wrote this to people he assumed were Christians. So he wrote this to people who were in a church, and he's assuming they're Christians. And he's telling them that they need to be careful to not act like tumbleweeds, basically, to not be blown around by the wind, to get mature, to grow up, to get some roots. That's what the whole series has been about. So we'll go again today one last time to that anchor verse that sits right in the middle of this chapter that tells us to not be like a tumbleweed, Ephesians 4.14. It says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So Paul says here, we need as Christians to stop being blown around by the wind. And he compares that to being like a child. He says it's childish. We'll say it again. We've said it every week. It's cute for a four-year-old to act like a tumbleweed, to just say whatever they want to say and get mad when they want to get mad and do what they want to do. And you're like, that's cute. It's not cute anymore at 35, y'all. And if you're 65 and you've been a Christian for you know 50 years and you're still being blown around by the wind, what is wrong? What's happening here? That's what Paul's saying to this church. He's telling them it's time to grow up. We all have to do it. We've all done childish things. We've all had things that needed to change. And Paul's helping us understand we need to keep growing. We need to grow up. And last week, we saw him give us a list of things that need to go, and he called it our old life. It's like an old uniform or clothing that used to fit you that doesn't fit you anymore. The apostle gives us that picture. It needs to be taken off. But today, we're going to see him give us a picture of what needs to come on us. And what we'll see is that the Christian life, again, is not to be an accidental life. It is intentional. That's the big idea. The Christian life shouldn't be random. In fact, the more you walk with Jesus, the less random it should be. What this means is we shouldn't be like tumbleweeds. We shouldn't be testing the tea leaves of our culture to decide how we're going to do things like marriage, relationships, parenting, etc., etc. We answer to a different call. Did you know that in the New Testament, there's only three times that believers are called Christians? Only three times. Peter, Paul, and Luke are the three different guys that use that terminology but, but do you know what's used far more? Disciple. And the word disciple has a very distinct meaning. Disciple comes from the root word discipline. It means that if you're a Christian, you're under the discipline of God. In other words, he's the boss now, you're not anymore. That's what that means. And Paul is saying here, tumbleweeds don't have a boss. That, like, it's like nothing's telling them what to do. It's just whatever. But Christians aren't like that. We're not blown around by the wind. And I just want to encourage you today. We have purpose. 
We have direction. We have a king and we live under his authority and we're glad to do so. And he tells us what to do and when to do it and how to do it for our good, his glory, and our full joy. We are people who have roots. That's who we are. And so today, Paul is going to not just tell us, hey, here's what you needed to take off. He's now going to tell us what we need to put on, the new uniform. Ephesians 4, 25 through 30, our final section that we're going to look at. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is our authority, and I pray today that you'd help us to not just be hearers, but be doers of it in Jesus' name, amen. If you're new with us at Three Circle, online, at any campus here today, the way we've done this series really tells you who we are as a church. If you're wondering who we are, we're people of the word. So around here, you need to know that the thing driving Three Circle is not some vision that I had or, you know, some dream that somebody had one night and uh, our vision's the word. Like, I don't know. It's so simple. We just do what Jesus tells us to do for his glory. Our mission is in the word of God. Like every, it is our authority. It is our truth. That's where we go. We are people of the word. Amen. Three circle. You've been around here for a while. A while. We have a very high view of the word of God. We take it so very seriously. And as we look at this, what Paul has just written to us, we see a movement. He not only tells us what to take off, he's now going to tell us what to put on. Listen, walking with Jesus includes putting off the old, but it also includes putting on the new. The summer before I started high school, something very pivotal happened in my life. My youth pastor, who would be my youth pastor throughout high school, came to my church. Growing up, I grew up at this church and our pastor was an older gentleman, amazing pastor, and he loved the Bible and he loved the gospel. And his name was, we, in my church growing up, we called the pastor's brother. And he was Brother Coleman. But I had heard all, these, all those years growing up, I'd hear about his son, who was a youth pastor. And his name was Craig. And Craig had been in Texas doing youth ministry. And then he had been at another city on the coast in a town called Biloxi and he had been there and I was hearing how cool he was. And then a couple of times he had come to our church and visited and preached and we were all, man, that guy's awesome. I kept hearing about him. And then I got good news. The summer that I was going into high school, I hear they're, they're going to hire Craig to be our youth pastor at our church. He's coming to his home church to be our youth pastor. And little did I know how much that was about to change my life. So a few things Craig did when he got there. Number one, he was a big time Bible guy. He loved the Bible and immediately he taught me three disciplines that have stayed with me my whole life. He wanted me to read one proverb a day. So in, it, Proverbs has, you know, the, the 30, 31 chapters there, they correlate with the days of the month for you. So he said, I want you to read a proverb every day. I want you to read a psalm every day because that teaches you how to worship God. And it puts words to your heart. And then I want you to read in a chapter of the New Testament every day. 
And that's something I want all you guys doing every day. And he just, and he was so cool that we were all like, we'll do whatever he says. So I come home and I tell my mom, Hey, I want a new Bible. I need a new Bible, a little kitty thing I've had. You know, I need a new Bible. Imagine that as a parent. And, and I'm not the only one, man. He had us all doing that. But one thing, Craig, that was very distinct about him is he came in and, and I had grown up. Okay. And this happens in the church. Sometimes we get a lot of to don'ts, right? I call them to don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. If you love Jesus, you're not going to do that anymore. And if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to stop doing that. All the to don'ts. I'm not saying that to don'ts aren't important. Last week, Paul spent a whole little section telling us the to don'ts, the old self, right? But often what gets forgotten is the, what I call the to do's. We major on the to don'ts and we don't do the to do's. And so the to do's are just as important. In fact, Christianity has a bigger windshield, my youth pastor taught me, than a rearview mirror. And so he came in and he majored on the to-dos. I remember him looking at us and saying, hey, God's got a plan for your life. I'm not just going to tell you things not to do. I want to tell you the things God has for you. He has a, a direction for you, purpose for you, plan for you, vision for your life. And he, we believed him. And so he was like, in fact, he taught us another thing. He said, if you'll spend time with Jesus and love Jesus and walk with Jesus, you won't want to do the to-don'ts anymore. So let's major on the to-dos and the to-don'ts tend to take care of themselves. And so I, rem I remember the day I, I loved, man, I loved baseball when I was a kid. And I thought, that's what I'm going to, there was this player by the name of Will Clark that I grew up loving. I thought, I'm going to the next Will Clark. That's what I thought. I wasn't. I wasn't ever going to be. But I like that thought at 12 years old. But I remember Craig looking at me going, hey, man, I know you love baseball, but God's got this plan. God, you're a leader. God's going to use you. And I thought, man, he was telling me the to-dos. Instead of like, you know, don't listen to rock music, say bad words and dip snuff and don't date girls that do. Instead of that whole thing. I mean, because I did grow up in Mississippi, y'all. Uh, <laughs> he didn't just tell me to dance. He told me to do's. And, he, and what he was doing is he was saying, there's this new uniform for you guys to put on. There's this new life in Christ. At the same time, one of my favorite Christian artists, Stephen Curtis Chapman, released this song at the very same time called The Great Adventure, and it came out. And so I've got a youth pastor telling me that God has this big plan for our lives, and then I've got my favorite, one of my favorite singers with this song saying that the Christian life is the greatest adventure anyone can ever have. And you know what? I just messed up and believed all that. And so I look in the Word of God, and I see Paul here saying, hey, yeah, we're going to put off the old but we're going to put on the new. It's kind of like this. Back in the day, Tom Brady played a long time for the New England Patriots. And when he did, he looked like this. This is what Tom Brady looked like. That was his uniform. And he won championships. He did all that stuff. But then a few years ago, famously, Tom Brady decided to switch teams. And you know what he did not do? He did not go down there and say, hey, guys, I'm going to play for you guys here in Tampa. But uh, I really want to keep my old uniform. I'm sorry, but I can't play in a different uniform. And I'm a little superstitious. I'm going to wear my Patriots uniform, but I'll play for you guys. No, he didn't do that. When he went to Tampa, he got one of these, and he started looking like that. He put on a new uniform. It wasn't just what he took off. It's what he put on. And even the great Tom Brady, when he went to Tampa, had to make a decision and go, you know what? I'm a part of this team now. This is who I am now. I'm not that guy anymore. That's behind me. I am this person now. It wasn't just take the old off. It was put the new on. I got to buy in. And that's what Paul is saying today. You're going to see this movement where he's saying, look, we are not just taking off. We're putting this new stuff on. 
And so what I want to do right now is I want to major on the to-dos, and I want us to look at this movement that Paul writes about going from being tumbleweeds to being what we're going to call roots today, people roots. Tumbleweeds don't have roots. What does the rooted Christian life look like? The mature, passionate, growing Christian life look like? Some of these may surprise you that Paul's going to lay out and say, now here's what needs to be taken off, but here's what needs to be put on. And the first one in verse 25 is this, tumbleweeds are loose with the truth. But people who have roots, who are mature in Christ, they walk in the truth. They become people of truth. Now again, remember, he's talk, this isn't lost versus saved. He's talking to people who he assumes are Christians. He's saying, this is a struggle. And the first thing out of the gate is that we stop being people who spread or use falsehoods. Look what he says. He says, put away falsehood. That's the to don't. And then here comes the to do. Let each one of you speak the truth. We're members of one another. Now, when we think about that, obviously right out of the gate, we all kind of know as humans, don't lie. But did you know that there's many creative ways to lie? There may be some ways that you speak falsehoods in your life that you didn't realize were, that you kind of justify. Let me give you an example. Did you know that exaggeration is a form of lying? Did you know that telling a story about someone that makes you out to be the hero, but them out to be the villain, by just manipulating the story just enough, by not telling all of the context of why someone reacted the way they did, did you know that you just lied? You you know you didn't present that the right way. That's a form of lying. Now, let me just tell you, this is, we gotta be careful here because here in the South, I know my audience, now many, there's many people here that aren't from the South and I wanna help you for a second. If you're from Ohio or Pennsylvania, we're so glad you're here, but I need to teach you about Southerners real quick, all right? And I'm gonna teach it to you this way. All right, number one, if you meet a Southerner, I need you to understand it when they, they like to, we like to tell stories in the South. So one thing you need to be aware of is that the fish they told you about that they caught is not as big as they told you. It wasn't that big. Secondly, the deer that they said they saw out in the woods, number one, nowhere near as big as they told you it was. But secondly, it might not have even existed. I'm just being honest with you. The last thing, and this may be the most important, and I'm telling you this because I love you, I care about you, I don't want you to get hoodwinked. I don't, I don't want you to have the tumbleweed roll over you, okay? When a Southerner tells you how great they were at any given sport in high school, they were not. They were not. I'm just telling you right now, and if they tell you that if that knee thing hadn't happened, if they hadn't snapped that ankle, that they would have been playing D1, that's not true. I'm just trying to help you here, all right? We like to tell stories. But now Paul's not talking about storytelling. Look, I grew up on porches listening to my grandfather and his buddies tell stories. And they were having fun. But when life gets serious, Paul says, here's the deal. We need to be known as people of truth because we live in a world of lies. And we live in a world full of liars. And our spiritual enemy is the father of lies. And so the way we stand out against the backdrop of a culture full of half-truths, full of exaggerations, full of tearing people down with our words, the way we stand out in a world like that is people of truth. We stand for truth. We tell the truth. We speak the truth. It's very important that we do that. Paul warns us to be people of truth in verse 25 and to put away falsehood. 
The next thing he deals with in verses 26 through 27 is anger. Anger. Tumbleweeds are sinful in their anger, but people with roots will have appropriate anger. Now, this is interesting. When he's telling us the new uniform that we need to put on and the old one that needs to come off, it's interesting the things he grabs. The first one is how we deal with the truth. The next one's our anger. Look at verses 26 and 27 again. They're in your handout, and online it should be on the screen for you. Be angry, but do not sin. That tells you something. Anger is not always sin. Right out of the gate. Anger's not always sin. He then tells you how to keep it from becoming sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then he tells you the danger of allowing it to become sin. It gives an opportunity to the devil. Now, when I take all that together, let me tell you some things, hopefully, that'll help you. You need to look at anger like gasoline. You need gas in your, in your uh, car, in your truck, in your vehicle, in your boat. It propels. Gas is this thing, gasoline propels the engine forward. Anger can be like gasoline. It's not always Jesus got angry. Uh, our heavenly father is described at times in the Bible being angry. Anger is not always sin, but listen, but it is always potentially dangerous. Anger is not always sinful, but it's always potentially sinful like gasoline. Gasoline when used properly is awesome. It propels everything forward. But gasoline is always potentially explosive. Isn't that right? How many of you have ever felt the power of the explosiveness of gasoline? I watched an uncle of mine burn his eyebrows off one day because he poured a bunch of gasoline on a trash pile. I'll never forget the look in his face as he looked at us with that match and threw it in. And the, it's like a Rambo movie with everything just blowing by him. I thought he looked good without the eyebrows. I was like, I think... You're all right. Kind of smell weird for a while. <laughs> Anger, though, can be appropriate. Now, how do I know when it's appropriate? Watch this. Because if I'm walking with Jesus and the Holy Spirit's guiding me, I will be angry about those things which God cares about. Anger is a form of engagement. You know what anger says, by the way, that you care? Anger says that this matters. So people that never get angry about anything worry me. I'm like, is there something going on in there, y'all? Is there something, do you got, it's kind of like the Tin Man, Wizard of Oz. Do you have one of those things beating inside of your chest? Right, let me give you another way to understand this. So in my unique position over the years, I have the honor, and I consider it a sacred honor because I really care about marriages. I'll have couples come of all ages that need help with their marriages. I can't always help them, by the way. We begin trying to help, and then we get them into counseling, all those things. But one thing I've noticed over the many years of doing this so this may surprise you. Couples that I think when they come in, I think they've got a chance to make this work. It may surprise you, the ones that I think that about and the ones that I think, I don't know. I don't know if they're gonna get through this. So when a couple shows up in my office and they walk in and they're mad, I can tell they're mad. Like they're trying, hi, Pastor Chris, and they're kind of looking at each other. I clench fist, you know, whoa. And they're angry, you can tell. And they walk in my office and then as they start talking, they're kind of going at it. I've had people forget I was sitting there before. <laughs> I've had some nuclear bombs dropped in my office. You know what I'm saying? And then they look and realize, oh, I'm in the pastor. I'm like, carry on, my friends, carry on. It's all good. But you know, the ones that are angry like that, I always, they don't know it. But in my heart, I always think they, they got a chance. Why? Because they still care. You're not angry about something you don't care about. They're still engaged. Okay. The ones that concern me, 
are the ones that walk in, either one of them or both of them, and they're cold and they don't care. And I can see that they have checked out. That's the ones that, that I'm like, I don't know. When you got one cup, one person sitting there pouring their heart out and the other person's looking at me like, I don't care. I don't care that they're hurting. I don't care that they feel that way. That's when I go, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to make it. And, and, and my point I'm trying to make is anger's not always a bad thing. Anger's a telltale. This matters to me. But what you do with that anger is very important. And what Paul says is a kid, remember, little, little tumbleweed, little four-year-olds are cute when they're tumbleweeds. Kids don't know what to do with their anger. They're just mad. A five-year-old stomping their foot is kind of funny, right? I wanted gummy bears. And you're like, oh, here's some Brussels sprouts, you know. Make you even angrier. Now, the ones that worry us are the ones that don't care. And so it's what you do with your anger, though. It's not okay to be uncontrolled in your anger as you grow. And Paul says, no, we're going to harness that in a way. That's what we want to do. So sinful anger in Christ becomes appropriate anger. And, and here's the deal. Injustice should anger us because it angers our Heavenly Father. I get angry when I think about the fact that there's untold numbers of unborn children that lose their lives every day, every week, every month, every year in this country that I love. You better believe I feel that. When I see what Satan is doing to families, I feel it. When I see teenagers that are being drugged off into the culture by their spiritual enemy, I feel it in my core. I feel anger. It's what I do with that that matters. Does that make sense, church? What are you doing with that? Paul says, don't be a tumbleweed with that. Don't just go wherever that leads you. You control that emotion. The next thing, interestingly, in verse 28, he deals with is thievery. He says, stop being a thief in verse 28. Don't steal. And here's the to-do. Don't just to-don't. Here's a to-do. Rather, let him labor. Do honest work with your hands so that you'd have something to share with anyone in need. So it's motivational as well. Tumbleweeds aren't thieves anymore. We become workers, but not just workers so that we can do better, workers so that we can help others. Do you see the mission there? I love that Paul says, and we don't work hard just so we can have more. We work hard so that we can bring a turkey for somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all about the motivation. But let me tell you what tumbleweeds do. Tumbleweeds go wherever the wind takes. There's no purpose and there's also no authority. There's no authority in their lives. There's no boss. Once again, the, the word Christian, it's only used a few times in the New Testament, but the overwhelming word for believers is the word disciple. And the word disciple means discipline. It means I'm under authority. It means that there's a boss and I'm not him anymore. I've given my life over to the authority of God. And therefore, I can't steal. And by the way, I told you that lying has some sneaky ways. Like if you exaggerate, if you tell a story in a way that's not quite uh, contextual and you know it's not, that's a form of lying. There's a lot of ways to steal too. A lot of ways to steal, a lot of ways to rob. Let me tell you one that may surprise you. Gossip is thievery. Gossip is thievery. Did you know that? When you talk about someone behind their back, you're robbing them of their reputation. You're robbing them of their opportunity to state their case, which is why I think a great rule in life is if I talk about you, I need to talk to you. If, someone's going, if you talk about someone, talk to them. Talk to them, go face to face. The Bible tells us to do these things. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, let the thief stop being a thief. We don't, we don't steal from one another stuff. 
We're also not going to be a thief with our words, with our actions. And he gives you the motivation behind thievery is greed. I want to look good or I want what you have. And he says, no, no, no. The Christian who gets mature becomes a person, instead of talking about people, they just do stuff. They are proactive. The, the mature Christian doesn't have time to sit around and talk about everybody because they're too busy trying to expand the kingdom and do good work and represent Jesus. And by the way, I got a little something for you. If you've got people who talk about people a lot to you, I can guarantee you something. They're talking about you to other people. This makes everyone so uncomfortable. It's such a quiet room. You're sitting there going, huh. Keep that in mind. Thieves move to worker. The next thing interesting that Paul grabs verse 29 is the way we talk. He says that a tumbleweed will have a foul mouth. That's what he says. Corrupt talk comes out of their mouth. They just say whatever they want. A tumbleweed, they just roll around throwing seeds everywhere. But not a person of God. A person of God has mouths full of grace. That's what he says in verse 29. People of God begin to use language, which is a gift from God, to build others up. Now, I want to talk about this for a second. The book of Proverbs, that, that, that book that my youth pastor had us reading a chapter of all the time, who taught us more to-dos than to-don'ts, the book of Proverbs has a verse that has both a to-don't and a to-do in it. It says this, life and death, the power of life and death are found in the tongue. Did y'all know that? And from a biological sense, that's true. The tongue's one of the, they say, one of the strongest muscles in the body, Okay. But let me tell you this about your, your tongue. It's what he means there is your language, which is a gift. It's a mago day type gifting for humans that we can use language. And most of us look at that verse and we think it's negative. And there is a negative side. There's a to don't. It says death can be found in the power of the tongue. Now, how many of you have ever had someone say something to you that felt like a knife going in? Anyone? All right, we've got four people that are humans. Yeah, right? So we all know that words are powerful. Whoever said uh, words, what is it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, now that wasn't very smart, was it? Because we know that's not true. But that verse, it says, be careful. Your words have the power of death. But we missed the to-do in it. The major massive to-do is that it has the power of life. You and I as Christians have been called, according to Paul, to put on a new uniform. And our new uniform means that we use our gift of language not to tear down, but to build up. And our marriages, Christian marriages, become places of encouragement where we use our language and mouths to lift each other up and encourage one another. And yes, challenge one another. But even that is full of grace because we want it to build one another up. Folks, there is unbelievable power in the way we talk to each other. Are you harnessing that power? The to don't is important. Don't tear people down with your words. But don't miss the to do part. He's not just saying for you to be quiet. He's saying be proactive and grab the life-giving benefits of how you talk to someone. Look, man, words are powerful, right? Words are very powerful. And Paul is saying that people who are like tumbleweeds just say whatever they want to say. Watch out for the person that says, I just say what I want to say. I just speak my mind. Okay, then. I don't want to hang out with you too long. Because you are someone who holds a very, very sharp sword, and you just swing it wherever you want. 
The Bible's trying to move us to a place of actually caring about how we talk to one another, how we harness that language. He says we should build one another up. And watch this. Our words become grace to those who hear it. Now, let me just ask you a question. And by this is so convicting for me because I don't always get this right. I bet you don't either. Do you think the people around you that know you best would say that your mouth is full of grace, that you're graceful, that you build them up? By the way, building up does not always mean good job. Sometimes it is telling the truth. But do they know your heart? And even when you've challenged or corrected, they know that it was for their good? Okay. That's what the anti-tumbleweed life looks like. And then finally, verse 30, Paul brings us to the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He has sealed you for the day of redemption. What we'll say here is that a tumbleweed Christian, they're numb to the Spirit. They don't listen to him anymore. They don't hear his voice the way they should. But roots, people who have deep roots, we become sensitive to the Spirit. Now that says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. How do I grieve the Holy Spirit? How do you as a Christian grieve the Holy Spirit? Here's how, disobey. Disobey. When you disobey the Holy Spirit, it grieves him. Because the Holy Spirit's not an it, by the way. It's a him. There's a song years ago and they would sing it in churches. It was, send it on down. Lord, let the Holy Ghost. And I was, that song drove me crazy. Because the Holy Spirit's not an it. Holy Spirit is he. Okay, I'm just going to let that. It's just a little soapbox of mine. I just, if we're going to sing words a million times, they need to be right. So the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit comes into us. He says, you need to remember, you have the Holy Spirit in you now. He has sealed you for salvation. You're not getting in without him. He has sealed you, and the Holy Spirit now guides you, the Bible tells us. He's now your personal trainer, if you will. He's putting together your workout program. And he's got something he's working you towards. There's a poster on the wall. He's telling you every day, that's what we're going to look like right there. And it's Jesus. He's working us towards Jesus. Do you know how you grieve him? When you ignore him. When he's tapping on your heart going, don't say that anymore. And you just blow right through it. When he turns the light at the intersection red and you speed up, you grieve him. Because he knows that what he has for you is better than what you have for yourself. He knows that what you think he's withholding is actually him protecting you. That grieves him. How many of you parents in this room have ever just wished that your kids could see that you have their best in mind? Anyone? That's the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know that he loves you and has the best for you. The tumbleweed is numb to that. Doesn't pay attention. But Christians who get rooted, we get really sensitive to the Spirit. We, feel, we read the Bible and we go, Lord, I see I am not aligned. I want to align my life with that. And then in verses 31 and 32, Paul brings it all home with a summary. That's how we know that chapter should have ended there. And the organizers of the New Testament did a good job here because he ends the thought with a summary, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So there's that to, to don't list. Then there's the to-dos. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, one last time, let's, let's go back to the to-don't here. He says, here's the stuff that needs to be put away from you. Like Lazarus coming out of the tomb, Jesus said, take the grave clothes off of him. There's stuff that needs to go away. 
And he gives us another little list of these things. Be put away from us. And the best way I know to illustrate this, I've illustrated it for you before in this way. I just don't want you to forget it. When the language says, put these things away, I want to tell you what it means. Have you ever been walking through the woods or in a barn or in a backyard and you accidentally walk through one of these? Yeah. What does your mind tell you? If I just walk through a spider web, that means what is on me now? Uh Uh-huh. I don't know how you are. I'm not a big spider fan. I don't understand them. I don't like them. And so I like the outdoors. And there's been many times before the sun came up that I was walking through the woods and I walked through one of those. And here's what happens next. My brain tells me you have a massive spider on you right now. And you got to get him off. Now I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't gently, oh, I wonder if there's a spider on me. No, it gets violent. If anyone ever has a trail cam hanging on a tree and they catch this, they're going to win some money, y'all. I've taken a whole lot of clothing off in 28 degree weather before trying to find the spider that I think is on me, okay? But listen, listen, you got that picture in your mind. You know how you feel. You want it off of you. That's what Paul meant right there. There it is. That's what the Greek language means when it says put away, put off. It's literally violent. He says, you need to get serious. See, we think tumbleweeds are cute, but people that live out West know they're dangerous. When one hits the side of your car and then another one hits the side of your car, it's dangerous. Paul's saying, don't take this lightly. If you have a propensity to exaggerate, kill that. If you talk about people behind their backs, stop that. If you don't build people up with your words, instead you tear them down, you need to repent of that. Take it to the cross and take it seriously because listen, the tumbleweed life is not just unfortunate, it's dangerous. That's what he's saying. So he says, put that off. Take it off. This list is exhaustive, not exhaustive, but it is instructional. What I mean by that is you could add to this list. Paul could have too. He gives a lot of these lists in the New Testament. They're not all the same. What he's trying to tell you is here's what the old uniform kind of looks like. Don't look like that anymore. And here's what the new uniform looks like. Looks like Jesus. So what this is is a summary of the tumbleweed to root change that happens in the Christian life. I put more of the new uniform on and I take more of the old uniform off. That's what it looks like. Now, how does he end it? It's important. Because this is clearly a section of the letter that Paul meant. He's gonna move on to other things now and he does. Chapter five is different. So he clearly had this whole thing in mind. Then he summarizes it and then he has one last period to put on the end of this thing. One last bit of concrete to pour on it for us, for our hearts and our minds. What does he say? Look what he says. He says, do all of this, verse 32, as God in Christ forgave you. And there it is. Paul's telling us that Jesus is both our motivation and our model for resisting the tumbleweed life. It's Jesus. You want to know who didn't live a tumbleweed life? Jesus. You know who was tempted to live a tumbleweed life? Jesus. Satan did his best in the desert to get Jesus to go all tumbleweed on us, to snap his roots off. And Jesus stood strong and he said, no, 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 I've got purpose. No, 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 I know who I am. No, I've got a mission. Remember, I'm under authority, Jesus said. I I don't do anything apart from my father. 
Jesus is our model. He shows us how to do it, and he's our motivation. He's who we want to be like, isn't he? Like, if you're here, here's what I'm assuming. Paul said to these Ephesians, I'm assuming you know him and love him. So I'm going to say to you today, three circle, I'm assuming you know him and you love him. Don't you want to be like him? Don't you want to? Like, really want to? Don't you have a desire inside of you to follow Jesus and to be like Jesus? Then if so, let's be hearers and doers of Ephesians chapter 4. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word today. I pray that you would empower us to do what we have read and what you've modeled for us for your glory and the good of those around us. Help us, Jesus, to be like you. Help us to be like you. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.